Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. My name is Janine Moloff. I'm the producer and your host. Well, this week, um, we have something that is very relevant and really sounds pretty insane at the same time. Um, it might resonate a little more in Florida, where PNN is much better known than here in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, as, you know, the Donald has his main residence at Mar-a-Lago. I don't know if the Donald is listening. Um, if he is, somebody should have told him a long time ago that referring to yourself as the Donald sounds very the autistic. And it's not a slam against autistic people at all. It's a slam against Donald Trump. Let's, let's get that straight. All righty. So let's get started. This show, if you saw our advert, it was pretty much out there. Uh, I'm going to discuss basically an undeniable fact that Donald Trump should have been criminally indicted and has already faced prosecution, but that hasn't happened. You know, we have an attorney general under Joe Biden, in Joe Biden's administration, Merrick Garland, and, and I guess that good old Merrick is – I, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to prove that he's being fair, impartial, whatever. He's avoiding the big elephant in the room, and no pun intended. It just happened that way. Uh, you know, Donald Trump and his involvement in many things, but especially January 6th, uh, appears to have broken the law on a lot of different ways. And now we see that Donald is at it again. He was in Texas inciting people to violence once again. Uh, and this is our big story. Our big story really is why Trump must be criminally indicted, prosecuted, and yes, found, if found guilty, incarcerated for the rest of his days. Because he is inciting not just a civil war, a hot civil war, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. Uh, we hear a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle, whether you're a conservative or a progressive, saying, gosh, we're headed towards a civil war. I would maintain that's incorrect. We're not heading towards a civil war. The truth is the original civil war, in my opinion, never really, never truly ended. It just morphed into other things. It went from slavery and a hot civil war to the injustice and obscenity we know is Jim Crow. It morphs into basically different forms of racism that continues to the present day. And what Donald Trump has done is he's incited people that used to stay in the shadows and do this on the sneak. He's incited them to come full-blown, out in the open, and now he's inciting a hot civil war. And what we saw on January 6th of last year, that was the first salvo. That was an attack. That was an act of war by conservatives against democracy itself. It just was. And if there's any conservatives that are snarking around, you know, claiming that, oh, she wouldn't say that if, if there were progressives doing it, yes, actually, I would. I believe in rule of law. So let's get into it. So the Donald's at it again. He's inciting for a hot civil war as he campaigns in Texas, and that just proves that the loons and morons are alive and well in the Lone Star State. So that, 
that incitement. That's our first story. That's the introduction. Now, all snarky jokes aside, put bluntly, Trump is dangerous. He's actively inciting this time. The coup is in plain sight. And yet, as I just stated, Merrick Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, has yet to criminally indict Trump. Now, there's several legal scholars that have made the case for Trump's criminal indictment, and that is our second story. Finally, just as U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has failed to follow through on his duty and ignore the Donalds, the RNC, the Republican National Party that Trump essentially controls, has become more radically and insanely fascist. RNC Chairman, uh, since Chairman, RNC Chair Rona McDaniel, along with the RNC National Committee, filed a document which not only censured GOP Representative Adam Kinzinger and GOP Representative uh, Cheney, Liz Cheney, but that same document declared that January 6th was merely about people involved in, quote, legitimate political discourse, end quote. We're going to be talking about that. In fact, that statement is so ludicrous. And it just, the stench in that statement, the stench of overt privilege, of radical, overt, racist privilege, it smells worse than what comes out of my dog's ass. That's our last story. And then we will coronate our jackass, or in this case, Jenny, for a female of the week. So let's get into the first story, which is, how the Donalds added again, inciting for a hot civil war. He was in Texas. Now, he made a statement that he would offer, if he's reelected president in 24, he will pardon, issue blanket pardons for any of the uh, January 6th insurrectionists. And it looked like he was implying that he would also pardon other insurrectionists who commit violent acts on the Donald's behalf, okay? So what does the coverage look like? Well, I looked at CNN first, and they really downplayed the story. CNN should hang their head in shame. That's all I can say. There was a piece written by Eric Bradner from CNN. Uh, the headline was, Trump teases a presidential run and dangles pardons for January 6th rioters at Texas rally, okay? And this includes uh, a state, a reaction that is from George Conway, um, who has come out against the Donald. He's Kellyanne Conway's husband. George Conway is also a fixture at the Federalist Society. So I kind of have to question his his motivation, frankly. I mean, Federalists helped put Trump in office. So anyway. Um, this, they just talked, CNN just talked about how Trump teased, quote, teased a 20, 24 presidential candidacy and said he would consider pardoning those who were charged in connection with the deadly January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol if he wins the White House again, okay? Um, and they give a quote where Trump says, quote, if I run and I, w you know what, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to try and imitate the Donald. So, Here's what Trump said, his quote. Quote, if I run and if I win, 
we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. Okay, I can't quite, I can't quite imitate him right now. So he says, quote, if I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly, end quote. All right. Aside from the simplistic grammar that sounds like something some people attributed to the uh, the grammatic uh, form of an eight-year-old, I'd say a six-year-old, frankly, there's it's just absurd, okay? Right there, he's already implicating himself. He's implying that do this for me. If you fight for me, Donald Trump, then I'll give you a pardon. You know, it, it's almost makes him look like an accessory. It's a kind of a stupid remark to say, but again, CNN just kind of downplayed as far as I'm concerned. You know, they went on to say that Trump's comments reflect the, quote, growing sentiment among Republicans that the Capitol writers should be forgiven and the events of the day forgotten, end quote. Um, I would say it's far worse than that. I would say that the Republicans uh, under the Republican National Committee, they not only want the day forgotten, they not only want these people pardoned, but they want to rewrite what happened that day with the entire world witness and make it look like these people were patriots. And that's insane. It's also a pack of lies. Um, the CNN did quote uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or as I call him, Death Santis, because he is a possible 24 presidential challenger to Donald Trump. And he called the, according to this, DeSantis called the one-year commemoration of January of the January 6th insurrection um, as an effort to, quote, smear, his words, smear Trump supporters. Um, and once again, I don't know how you can call that a smear. The whole world saw it. The whole world saw a horde, a lynch mob, if you will. They listened to Trump. They listened to John Eastman. They listened to Marjorie Taylor Greene. They listened to, oh, who was that other rep? Um, I can't remember his name. There's a whole host of them. And then they basically went in lynch mob style, and they broke and entered. Not only broke and entered, but they broke and entered into a federal facility, which after 9-11 is a major crime. That's a security breach. Then they went hunting for people to either, uh, to either uh, you know, severely injure and or murder. And in this, in this whole thing, this whole event, seven people lost their lives. They were screaming, hang Mike Pence. Uh, I don't know how Mike Pence can continue to be a Republican when the party continues to tolerate this. You know, hang Mike Pence, that is not free speech. That is an intent to commit murder. It's pretty simple. But once again, Ron DeSantis had to basically pander to the racists and neo-Nazis that presently form the, G the GOP, period. Um, so this is something that CNN was talking about. And 
you know, once again, Trump went on to say many really stupid things. He didn't talk long, okay? He wasn't on stage for very long. But he also called the prosecutors that were, you know, going after not only him, but going after the January 6th insurrectionists, he called them racist, even though they're black. And neither one of the prosecutors, uh, in this instance, it would have been Letitia James. Oh, oh, I take that back. I'll admit when I made a mistake, I saw this incorrectly. So Trump also went off on the two prosecutors that are investigating him from New York. And um, they're going after Trump because of suspected fraudulent finances. So we're looking for financial crimes, uh, and that's New York Attorney Letitia James and then the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg Jr. Trump called them both racist, even though they're both black, and neither one of them has faced any uh, credible accusations of misconduct. And Trump went on to say, here's what Trump said about these prosecutors, quote, these prosecutors are vicious, horrible people. They're racist, and they're very sick. They're mentally sick. They're going after me without any protection of my rights from the Supreme Court or most other courts. In reality, they're not after me. They're after you, end quote. Now, this is really very tepid writing from CNN because, let's say facts, January 6th was a coup. Happened a year ago. It was a, it was a violent coup. It was intended to not only stop the certification of the election, but it was intended to overthrow the government, period. And last time I checked, that's high treason. But this last statement by Trump, after he complains about the prosecutors investigating him in New York State for financial crimes throughout his career, he not only calls them racist, but then after all that, he says, in reality, they're not after me, they're after you. Now, talk about Orwellian mis. Orwellian doublespeak, that's a prime example, all right? He is clearly trying to gaslight everybody. So let's move on. So it's clear that Trump's incitement is something we're familiar with by now. He does it through innuendo, but he also makes clear overt statements that are, you know, where he accuses various minorities that he happens to despise of all sorts of crimes. And, you know, Trump not only uses innuendo, but he routinely uh, slanders, libels, and defames any of his opponents. And he's been allowed to get away with it, which I, I truly do not understand. If he ever got into a legitimate court, he'd lose. But that's why he needs lynch mob, period. And his kids know it. And the Republican Party knows it. So let's look at this. How We know Trump's a con man. Okay, so this is part of the story. So how does Trump con these people? Time magazine published a, a piece by Professor Barbara Walters. And she explains how con men like Donald Trump build a fascist state. And the piece it was published just a few days ago. The headline is, Trump could still lead the U.S. to civil war even if he doesn't run in 2024. Now, 
Professor uh, Barbara Walter is the Rohr Professor of International Relations at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at the University of California, San Diego. She also authored the book titled How Civil Wars Start and How to Stop Them. Now, Professor uh, Walter goes into this, this whole spiel, and she uses uh, examples like Yugoslavia, Northern Ireland, Ethiopia, and she explains how, how these countries broke apart. So, you know, the former Yugoslavia, it basically fragmented because Serbs and Croats, as well as Bosnian Muslims, they started to fight each other after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Explains how Northern Ireland fought because the Catholics uh, really despised how Protestants from England dominated and discriminated against them. In Ethiopian, in Ethiopia, uh, she traced the civil war uh, because of various ethnic groups and uh, each one in control of the government. And so then, Professor asked this very simple question. Quote, so fundamental ethnic, religious, or racial differences must be the cause of all these conflicts, right? End quote. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. When you get into the article, what you find is that these differences can lead to a civil war, most definitely. You know, racial tensions, uh, tensions between different different religious groups and so on and so forth. But it goes a little further than that. And what she basically says is there has to be a catalyst. And what she calls catalyst is really a mouthpiece. Uh, and these mouthpieces uh, are very, um, very good at provoking and harnessing feelings of fear. And that they take that fear and they push it on an ethnic constituency that will support them as these con people, con men, fight for power, okay? And these mouthpieces are often politicians, she says, uh, but they can also include the following, business elites, media figures. And she goes on to explain that, quote, separate and hostile ethnic and racial identities don't exist in a vacuum. They need to be crafted and these individuals rise up to do just that. They're often at high risk of losing power or have recently lost it. Seeing no other routes to securing their futures, they cynically exploit divisions to try to reassert control. Okay? End quote. And what she calls these conmen, these mouthpieces, she calls them ethnic entrepreneurs. Um, I think that's too polite. I, I believe in calling them for what they are race war insiders. These are rabble-rousers. You know, she can give it, Professor Walters can give it an academic name to make it sound a little more sophisticated, so she calls them ethnic entrepreneurs, but the fact is these are old-fashioned rabble-rousers. They are people that know how to incite and, and enrage a, a, the public into violence. Nothing else, really, from the day from the day Donald J. Trump entered the picture, coming down from that ugly, gaudy, blood-soaked golden escalator, he had no intention of doing anything except inciting bigots to violence. 
He knows he doesn't have any other skills. He knows he has nothing to offer the public, nothing legitimate. But he also knows, like most criminals, like most crooks, he knows that if he enrages people and incites them to violence, gets them so, make them so blinded by their hatred that they become violent, that they participate in the Civil War, that none of you will notice how he's robbing you blind. And why does the GOP, many of which are attorneys, go along with this? Because once again, the GOP has nothing to offer at all. People have, even conservatives have seen through the, I'll just say, the bullshit idea of trickle-down economics. There's nothing to it. The fact is, wealth, even a living wage, does not trickle down by allowing the rich to uh, use a form of predatory capitalism and basically steal everything else. You know, when you talk about trickle-down capitalism, trickle-down economics, think of it this way. You know, the rich are trickling on us the same way a male dog lifts its leg to piss on you. That's what's happening. So the GOP has nothing to offer at all. So what they sell is hatred. What the GOP sells is racism, religious intolerance, um, misogyny, which is the hatred of uppity women that dare to want to have the same rights as any other human being, homophobia, transphobia, you can go on down the line. They know they have nothing to sell, so they sell hatred. And they give the people that follow the GOP, they give them a target, a target to aim their rage at, so they don't notice how the GOP, how big business, how big banks have robbed us all blind of a decent standard of living. That's simple. And now the GOP has taken the mask off, and they are actively embracing, through the personage of Donald Trump, they are actively embracing open racism and what can only be called neo-Nazism, period. There's no more facade. You know, when I saw the story break about Donald, you know, Donald Trump inciting this again, and when I saw the piece of, um, when I saw how the RNC tried to claim that the events of January 6th were just political expression, I called one of my U.S. senators. Now, trying to call Josh Hawley's useless. He, he's, his people never answer. But I called Roy Blunt because Roy Blunt is a member of the National GOP leadership team. He's in it up to his eyeballs, even though he acts like he's this nice little guy. He's not, not in my opinion. And I asked a staffer in his office, how, does, how is Roy Blunt going to respond to the statement made by the RNC that the events of January 6th were just a matter of, you know, political, legitimate political discourse? Well, Roy Blunt's staffer couldn't really say much. They said the senator hasn't really issued a statement yet. The senator never does until he's forced to. And I said, well, he has to have some sort of opinion. It's pretty obvious. And again, they just kept evading the issue. Now, Roy Blunt, to give you an example, is old GOP. The same as the Bushes, the same as the Romneys, 
the same as McCain's. This is all GOP. And when they try to condemn January 6th insurrectionists a little bit, that's a smokescreen. They had a whole freaking year to cooperate, and they refused. So good old Donald Trump is once again inciting, and, you know, again, he's an an ethnic entrepreneur. Well, I disagree with Professor Walters on that. You know, in this article, Professor Walters also usually makes the following statement in her article. After the statement was, quote, so fundamental ethnic, religious, or racial differences must be the cause of all these conflicts, right? Americans have a lot at stake in the answer to this question. Our country has become increasingly divided, with race now playing a central role in debates over policing, immigration, health care, even the teaching of history. Could the country fracture as a result of this polarization? End quote. Okay, so I looked up Professor Walters. She is a white woman. She is blonde. Translation, she may have suffered through misogyny, but she's never suffered as a person of color or a religious minority a day in her life. So she clearly doesn't get it. And my response was, what an asinine question. These fractures have always always been here. The lynch mobs have always been here. The only difference is that people constituting communities of color, religious minorities, and so on and so forth, they're refusing to remain silent and tolerate their abusers any longer. There's nothing else. This deep division has always existed. It just has. And unfortunately, white moderates or white liberals like Professor Walters really don't get it. That to her, this is all new that she's discovered, except if you're a person of color, if you're a religious minority, if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, if you're an open feminist, of course you get it. Especially if you don't look white enough. That's just a fact just a fact. If you are someone who doesn't look white enough, a person of color, or maybe somebody where maybe you look like you're biracial or multiracial, you get what I'm saying. The divisions have always been there. And even those of us that look white enough, if you're a member, for instance, of the Jewish community, anti-Semitism has always been there. You know, racism is more obvious and easier to point at. Anti-Semitism is more subtle. So the Jewish community, we become much more adept at identifying some of this, this um, dog whistle language that bigots use. But the divisions, and I know I'm repeating myself a lot, the divisions have always been here. They just have. You know, I hear this from people all the time, that especially white moderates, white Republicans as well, they'll say, we're heading towards civil war. Can't everybody calm down? All this division, you know, they'll say things like, I'm colorblind. You know, they don't see color or religious difference or or they don't mind if they know that so-and-so is a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or whatever. They don't mind. It's not for them to mind or not mind. And, And 
and they're just so worried. And what they fail to acknowledge, the only difference here, there's, there's not more division. The difference is it's more open. And the targets of the bigots, once again, communities of color, religious minorities, open feminists, the LGBTQ community, etc. They are refusing to remain silent any longer, and they refuse to tolerate this systemic abuse, because that's what we're talking about. That's it. So we're finally fighting back. So, of course, we're closer to hostilities breaking out. We didn't have hostilities breaking out before because we were outnumbered, those of us in the minority community. So we just took it up to a point because we were so outnumbered. It's not because we didn't want to fight back. It's not because we wanted the abuse to stop. And that's what we're really talking about. When you're talking about privilege, when you're talking about racism, systemic racism, when you're talking about systemic religious bigotry, systemic misogyny, systemic homophobia, transphobia, you're talking about abuse, period. You're talking about unearned privilege. So, of course, if you are a white, Christian, straight, cis male, and suddenly the legal system takes away your unearned privilege that you shouldn't have had in the first place, to you it's going to feel like oppression. But you had that privilege that you weren't, that you weren't supposed to have in the first place. And how do you get unearned privilege? By taking rights and fairness away from other people. That's it. That's it. So I, t- I have some problems with Dr. Walters, Professor Walters, that is. Uh, she is right that there are these people that, these what she calls ethnic entrepreneurs, and, again, what they are, they're con men, they are, we used to call in the old days, rabble-rousers. They know how to get everybody totally whooped up, dangerously so. So whether it is, say, something on the more harmless level, like, you know, from the music man, Professor Harold Hill, oh, there's trouble in River City. They're going to have trouble. You know, there's a pool table. It can go from that benign level all the way to the malignancy, the malignant evil of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. Okay? It can be as benign as when somebody like Whoopi Goldberg, and I do believe she said in innocence, even though it upset me, as as a person who is a Jew, a Hispanic Jew. She made a comment on The View, <coughs> excuse me, where she claimed that um, she spoke with authority that the Holocaust was not about racism. And then she went on to say this was about man's inhumanity to man. She essentially took the colorblind argument, in my opinion, and applied it to the Holocaust. And she showed her lack of, she showed her ignorance on the subject, all right? The Holocaust was all about race. The reason Roma gypsies, well, we call gypsies, or the Roma people, as well as uh, homosexuals, people with disability, and Jews, the reason they were targeted is they were, it was a policy of eugenics, where they only wanted to create, they only wanted to keep alive people that would be strong, strong workers and white, period. And 
Roma people, otherwise known as gypsies, as well as Jews, were not regarded as fully white. They were considered mixed. It was all about racism. It wasn't so much what Whoopi said. It was the fact that she spoke with so much authority and discounted what anyone else had to say. And it seemed like she was minimizing it. And that was that was hurtful. You know, um, I don't know how she would have felt if somebody had made a similar comment about Jim Crow, for instance. In fact, Hitler's policies regarding the Nuremberg Laws were actually taken directly from Jim Crow. So once again, you know, Whoopi didn't know what she was talking about, but, you know, then again, that speaks to the fact that the view isn't news. It's infotainment. And none of these women, especially Whoopi Goldberg, she's not a journalist. She's a comic. And I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't mix the two. News is news. And I think it should be communicated by actual journalists, not by comics and entertainers. So it would be apologized. Um, I do think that the punishment that the, 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 um, that the network gave her was too severe, frankly. If it had been me, I would have just taken her aside and said, you need to understand this. You know, you need to study the Holocaust. And because what, and I think if Whoopi had any real knowledge of the Holocaust, she wouldn't have made that kind of statement. If she had known that, yes, there were times when the Nazis forced forced children to shoot their own older siblings and their own parents, or the parents begging them, otherwise the Nazis were going to kill those babies. There were instances where the Nazis, we know about the gas chambers, but there were also instances where they took people live and threw them into a crematorium. Whoopi doesn't know that because it's not taught in our history classes, even though it should be. So that was a, I kind of got off topic there, but once again, I see people like Professor Walters kind of soft pedal it because she's trying to be academic. Um, it, it irritates me. You know, you can call Donald Trump and people like him, as well as Adolf Hitler, ethnic entrepreneurs, but call them what they are. The rabble rousers, the race war insiders, period. Um, Otherwise, would Dr. Walters, Professor Walters, claim that Hitler was merely an ethnic entrepreneur? You know, I really wish these academicians would stop soft-pedaling those who incite and trigger genocide. Okay. So, again, a lot of these, 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 these race wars, these genocides, they need somebody to act as a catalyst to really bring people that fevered pitch you know, to really incite them to riot and commit atrocities. And the catalyst for conflict, you know, again, are these, these rabble-rousers like Donald Trump, like Slobodan Milosevic, like Joseph Stalin, and yes, like Adolf Hitler, and yes, like Donald Trump. And again, they may pick at the economy or immigration or freedom of religion, but what they do is they really take that issue, and they make, and this is from Dr. Walters, and they make that fight about their group's position and status in society, and then they take the power of the media and make it work for them. So they're, they're basically propagandists, and they convince people that this outgroup, this alien other, is not only stealing from all of you, but they're the cause of all your problems. It, it's an academic way of saying basically 
they rabble route to the point that they literally scream witch, and then the witch burning starts. That's really what this is about. You can doctor it up, but that's what it is. And they use incendiary language to not only cast that alien other or that witch as evil, but then they also use that same incendiary language to cast themselves as superior and thus deserving of the, the privilege to dominate others. And that's where you see things like, for instance, uh, Dr. Walters uh, talks about 92 rallies in the Rwanda city of Tobaya, and that was two years before the Civil War. She claimed Kutu politician Leo, Leon Mugusera um, just in a speech called and told supporters that Tutsis were cockroaches and added that, quote, anyone whose neck you do not cut is the one who will cut your neck, end quote. And she also explains how Sudanese President, um, President Omar Omar al-Bashir really took the distrust between Arabs and, and black Africans and exploited it in 2012. Uh, he described his political rivals as, as the following, quote, the main goal should be liberation from these insects and to get rid of them once and for all, God willing, end quote. And if you notice, Donald Trump has called his enemies vermin, cockroaches, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. And all of this came straight from the Nazi propaganda books. And one of these days I'll do a show on it and I will actually tell you where I found this information um, because the Nazi propaganda was pretty widespread, not only in Germany but here in the U.S. So let's move on. So after these rabble rouses go off, and, you know, are, are these average people, is the average person listening to these ethnic entrepreneurs, listening to these, these insiders, are they really conned, duped by these con artists? Or are they just fine with someone else doing their dirty work for them? You know, and, and the question I would ask is, is the average Trumper, you know, the average Trumper who, yes, is fine with Trump's racism, his neo-Nazism, and so on and so forth. Are they really just copying the moral bankruptcy of Pontius Pilate and letting someone else do the dirty work for them? I would say yes. So this is, it, it goes on, okay? I'm not going to get into this much further. You get the idea here. Um, I call it there. Okay, so let me go back a little bit. There's also what's called the coward offensive. And Dr. Walters um, explains, quote, if citizens come to believe, quote, there's even a small chance that the opposition could become violent, they will turn to a leader who offers them protection, no matter how unscrupulous, end quote. And you see that as Trump's followers push this. Um, this dubious great replacement theory, where they are convinced that if enough people of color from other nations immigrate here, that they will, quote, outnumber whites. And they are terrified of it, absolutely paranoid about it. And somebody like Donald Trump takes that fear and manipulates it, and these people, yes, can become very violent. Again, 
It's like the Salem witch trials all over again. And these are people that look for a strong man, you know? Ironically, they see it in Donald Trump, who is probably one of the worst cowards in the world. I mean, Trump didn't serve in the military. He got off because of bone spurs. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Trump had bone spurs, and you see this picture of him as a young man where he has his feet are covered with these loose-fitting socks. Um, but he went on a skiing weekend. I think it was the same week that picture was taken. And usually, if you have bone spurs, you don't have the strength to stand up, much less go skiing. If you can go skiing, then he should have gone into the military. So, anyway, um, Dr. W- Professor Walters goes into the history a little more, you know, and talks about there was a shift in the mid-1960s, according to Vox.com, and, you know, these ethnic entrepreneurs, these bigots, they're thriving, but they didn't come out of nowhere. Um, basically, there, the GOP used to be, you know, a white zone. Okay, let me back up a little bit here. Um, the Republican Party basically was the party of Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, Lincoln did free the slaves. So a lot of the voters from the former Confederate states became Democrats out of retaliation against the GOP. They were still angry about Abraham Lincoln. They refused to accept the fact that the slaves had been freed and so on and so forth. But then in 1964, when Democratic President Lyndon Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act, then all of these bigots that were part of the Democratic Party switched over to become Republicans. And there's a quote from President Johnson he apparently, this is a quote where he said this to his then special assistant and future journalist, Bill Moyers. Johnson said, quote, after he signed off on the Civil Rights Act, quote, I think we just delivered the South to the Republican Party for a long time to come, end quote. And it's very true. Then in 1968, Richard Nixon, running for president, capitalized on that racism with the, the infamous Southern strategy. Um, but it was a little sneakier. Instead of using the N-word, he talked, he couched in terms of law and order and the fight a war on drugs, which was, again, bigot code for blacks are going to be treated far worse. And, you know, once again, that Southern strategy continued in the GOP. Um, Ronald Reagan uh, was infamous where he shamed what he called welfare queens. George Bush Sr., H.W. Bush, um, had the infamous Willie Horton commercial that basically implied that black men are criminals. And then you have George W. Bush's campaign. Uh, They were accused of spreading rumors, according to VanityFair.com, that John McCain had fathered an illegitimate black child. So once again, these ethnic entrepreneurs have been used to incite people to economic violence, social violence, political violence, and then we have physical violence. And we saw the culmination of all of that last year on January 6th. Okay? We just did. We have people like uh, Tucker Carlson feeding into it. You could definitely say that Tucker Carlson is very much an ethnic entrepreneur, a rabble rouser. So is Alex Jones, okay, so on and so forth. Um, 
you know, Donald Trump has been doing it for a long time. You know, he challenged whether or not Barack Obama, President Obama, was born in this country. Okay, claimed that he wasn't. Last time I checked, Hawaii was part of the U.S., all right? But Donald Trump made this crusade questioning whether or not Obama was born in the United States and thus qualified to run for president. Uh, this is racism. And once again, you know, Trump portrayed black Americans as poor and violent. He called Mexicans out as criminals. He spoke of Christian values, even though he sexually assaulted many women. He's called women horse face, fat and ugly. I wonder if the Donald's ever looked into the mirror. Anyway, um, you know, he called Africa, he called several nations, specifically Haiti, El Salvador, and many African nations shithole countries, his words. Okay. He retweeted a video of a retiree in Florida chanting white power. What more do you need? It's rather obvious. So in spite of this whole Southern strategy, Donald Trump has basically followed and pursued the most openly racist platform in our history, I would say, since since the days of slavery. Seriously. Um, you know, and yet he gets away with it. All right. And... You know, this is this is what we're dealing with here. Um, and while Trump was in the in the White House, those Republican policies, he put judges on the Supreme Court that would basically, I think, rubber stamp certain goals, mainly deregulate all of government, tax cuts, permanent tax cuts for the wealthy, environmental rollbacks, and so so on and so forth. And I know there are. There are conservatives out there that just say, well, I want to deregulate everything. Do you know? If you deregulate everything that government handles, don't assume that when you go to the grocery store and buy, say, I don't know, five pounds of ground chuck, that it's going to be safe to consume. Because you won't have any regulation. In theory, grocers could sell spoiled meat. And you would have no legal recourse. So once again, Trump has really exploited this, and he's really emphasized the idea that look at how much white white Christians have lost and painted them as victims, and that their quote rightful legacy had been stolen end quote. That's the whole idea behind "Make America Great Again." It speaks that sense of victimhood, and I suppose if you're used, I'll play devil's advocate, if you're used to having unearned privilege then basically taking away that unearned privilege that you shouldn't have had in the first place, yeah, maybe does feel like victimization, but it's not. It's just justice. You know, that's all it is. But he keeps pushing that, and it's incredibly dangerous. So you can read the article yourself. Basically, this professor has described a situation where the privileged – um, basically are screaming that they that they're being deprived of that unearned privilege and she's also described what 
those of us on the receiving end of the historic abuse that comes from racism and religious bigotry and so on and so forth, she just described what those of us on the receiving end of that abuse have always known. We don't need a professor to explain it to us. So let's go on to the next story here. Uh, this is, what's the case for criminal prosecution of Donald Trump? And the first piece of information comes from a, excuse me, a journal, an online journal called Just Security. And it's a piece written by Albert W. Allshuler. And Allshuler is the Julius Krieger Professor of Criminal Law and Criminology Emeritus at the University of Chicago Law School. And Professor is basically going into the issues of how Trump could be prosecuted criminally and how they should go about it. And he talks he talks about this legal roadmap of crimes. Now Alshuler is reviewing what is essentially a letter written um, by excuse me, Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe and former U.S. Attorneys Barbara McQuaid and Joyce White Sands. And the legal roadmap of crimes uh, is explained. All right, so these people present a roadmap for the Justice Department to follow in investigating, and you can read about that in WashingtonPost.com and investigating whether Trump's efforts to, you know, overturn the 2020 election were criminal. And they listed about half a dozen offenses that they said at the very least merited investigation. Now, CNN's chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, said, no, 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 not so fast. Okay. And Tubin reviewed the offenses that were listed by Tribe McQuaid and Vance and said, quote, there is no basis to prosecute Trump and little reason even to open an investigation, end quote. Okay? But what the author of this piece, Schuller, goes on to say is, quote, neither Tribe and his co-authors nor Tubin mentioned what may be the clearest case for prosecuting the former president. Goes on to say, quote, by violating his legal duty to do what he could to end the unlawful occupation of the Capitol, Trump became an accomplice to that crime. He is subject to the same punishment as the rioters who entered the building, end quote. I'm going to read that one again. It's really that important. So there was this, uh, this editorial, if you will, uh, co-written by Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe and two former U.S. attorneys, Barbara McQuaid and Joyce White Vance, and it was published in the Washington Post. And they presented what they called, quote, a roadmap for the Justice Department to follow in investigating whether Trump's uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election actually constituted any sort of criminal um, activity. Um, and they listed several offenses, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But what Allshuler, this author, said very simply is one thing both Jeffrey Tubin and um, and Lawrence Tribe and the others missed. And to quote, wants to quote Allshuler in his article, quote, neither Tribe and his co-authors nor Tubin mention what may be the clearest case for prosecuting the former president. By violating his legal duty to do what he could to end the unlawful occupation of the Capitol, Trump became an accomplice 
to that crime. He is subject to the same punishment as the rioters who entered the building, end quote. I think this is a really important point. This is something that definitely the federal prosecutor should pursue. All right? So of practically 700 people charged um, in the insurrection, according to justice.gov, um, some 575 have been charged with unlawful entrance or remaining in a restricted building or grounds. Now, normally, that and that's what I was talking about in terms of breaking and entering and remaining. They didn't just break and enter. They stayed in a restricted building. And there's a reason why Capitol buildings do to have some restricted access because of what happened during 9-11. Now, Alshuler goes on to explain, according to Law. Cornell Law School, law.cornell.edu, normally that offense of being charged with unlawful entering or remaining in a restricted building or ground, normally that's a misdemeanor charge. But it's something else. Quote, it becomes a felony punishable by as much as 10 years in prison when it results in significant bodily injury or when an offender uses or carries a dangerous fire, weapon or firearm during the crime. So it can be a felony because when these people, enter, they broke and entered and they stayed in a restricted building, it, there was significant bodily injury, people were killed, and they were carrying dangerous weapons and firearms. So it's no longer a misdemeanor. It's a felony. And it's a federal felony because it happened on federal grounds. Alshuler goes on to say, quote, failing to prevent a crime usually does not make someone an accomplice, but it is sufficient when this person had a legal duty to intervene. And Alshuler gives the example. That's why a a railroad conductor, um, there was one instance where this railroad conductor was convicted uh, of transporting liquor, bootleg liquor, liquor because he failed to prevent the passengers who had the bootleg liquor from successfully uh, transporting it. There's another one, too, where uh, if, you, if there's a parent um, who makes no effort to stop an assault on her child, they can be found guilty of the assault themselves. And then also, another instance, a police officer who, you know, arranges to be elsewhere when a crime is being committed like a robbery, they can be convicted as aiding and abetting the robbery along with the robbers at the scene. So let's look at this. Did the president have a duty to basically stop this violent insurrection? Turns out he did. Specifically, the duties of the president. Constitution is quite clear on this. Article 2, Section 3 provides the following, quote, the president shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed, end quote. That means the president has to make a good effort, a good faith effort to do the best they can when it comes to law enforcement. But Alshuler goes on to explain that when a president violates his duty, okay, as documented by the Harvard Law Review, no less, 
when a president um, when a president violates his duty, quote, when he refuses to enforce the law because he wants a crime to occur, when, for example, he hopes to advance his own interests through the criminal conduct of others, then that is a crime. And it's quite clear that's what Donald Trump was doing. He wanted the insurrectionists to stop certification of the election. And it was in his best interest that they did. There's evidence that's leaked out now that there were plans that the Donald was in on where he was trying to see if he could authorize voting machines, basically authorize the, um, uh, the abduction of voting machines. In other words, he was going to get rid of the evidence. So once again, yes, Donald Trump is quite evidently very guilty of the federal crime where he failed to take care of the laws he faithfully executed to do what he could to end the occupation. That's it. Not only that, you know, there's another argument, too, where when Donald Trump uh, spoke in front of the insurrectionists before they went on their march, you know, he told them to, quote, fight like hell. So let's say you make the argument that Trump didn't intend to incite a riot, but it led to violence. There's more legal danger for Donald Trump. According to caselaw.finelaw.com, quote, a person who creates a physical danger, even innocently, has a legal duty to take, some, to take reasonable measures to prevent injury from occurring. Someone who started a fire can't just let it burn out of control, end quote. And again, he failed to do so. And it goes on to say, quote, according to Allshuler, quote, a president unmistakably violates his duty, again, according to Harvard Law Review, when he refuses to enforce the law because he wants a crime to occur goes on to say, quote, White House officials told a Republican senator that Trump was, quote, delighted when rioters pushed their way past police officers to enter the building. A close advisor to the president informed the Washington Post that, quote, rather than appearing appalled, Trump was blank, 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 enjoying the spectacle and encouraged to, to see his supporters fighting for him, end quote. Sounds pretty, pretty obvious to me. Uh, officials told Kate Collins of CNN, according to Twitter feed, that Trump was, quote, borderline enthusiastic because it meant the certification of the election was being derailed, end quote. Senator Lindsey Graham observed, according to the WashingtonPost.com, quote, the president saw the rioters as allies in his, in his journey, end quote. Again, what does it take to get Merrick Garland to do his duty. It is patently unjust to only go after the little guys and not go after Donald Trump, John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, um, and his whole, his whole bunch of insiders. Every single one of them should face criminal indictment, prosecution, conviction, and yes, very long incarceration. So, Or in Alshuler, there are some that argue 
Trump doesn't have to give any testimony or notes because it's executive privilege. Except that the Supreme Court, according to supreme.justia.com, the Supreme Court's recognized that executive privilege survives the individual president's tenure. Okay? That part it does. But, Schiller goes on, quote, when Congress seeks important information that cannot be obtained elsewhere, this privilege is unavailable. Again, according to casetext.com. Now, the court hasn't issued a ruling on it, but it's there. Furthermore, according to Allshuler and the CornellLawReview.org, executive privilege must be subject to the same crime fraud exception as a privilege for confidential attorney-client communications. It goes on to say, quote, um, a client's statement to a lawyer that he intends to go on committing a crime is not privileged. It goes on to say, quote, to establish the crime fraud exception, the committee would need to present a prima facie, prima facie case that Trump engaged in criminal conduct. Okay? So there's a lot here, folks, is, but this is a very important point. Just as somebody who's not president, they're being charged with a crime. If they make it, there is attorney-client privilege. That's true. But if your client makes a statement, the defendant makes a statement to their lawyer that they intend to keep on, you know, committing criminal acts, that's not privilege. Your attorney is required to report it to the court. And that's known as a crime fraud exception. And the executive privilege must be subject to the same crime fraud exception. And again, this you can read about this yourself in the Cornell Law Review, dated May 15, 2020. Uh, it says executive privilege with a catch, how a crime fraud exception to executive privilege would facilitate congressional oversight of executive branch malfeasance in accordance with the Constitution, end quote. Okay. Now let's go on. Let's talk about whether or not Trump's remarks on January 6th as he actively incited these people to violence, but whether that's protected by the First Amendment. It is and it isn't. Um, and this is according to APnews.com. The obstacle of Trump's First Amendment rights to prevent prosecution for incitement would disappear, quote, if the government sought to punish not the incitement, or not just the incitement, but if they sought to punish Trump's refusal to enforce the law after the insurrection began. Okay, so Trump could say fight like hell before the insurrection, yeah, it's protected First Amendment speech. And it might have seemed a bit ambiguous, a bit iffy, but that ambiguity, that, that question mark of what his intent was, that went away the second the Trump supporters broke and entered the building and committed acts of violence. That is when, as president, he was legally required to call them off, and he didn't. He did finally at the end of the day, after seven people had died. Damage has already been done. Okay? 
So you got to wonder, okay, why isn't uh, Merrick Garland going after Donald Trump? Maybe he and, uh, and President Biden, they want to try and heal the country. Honestly, like Dr. King said, peace, if you will, a healing or a peace, that, that yeah, basically that, okay, let me start again. A little bit of dis- disfluency going on here. Dr. King uh, basically used to say, I'm not quoting, but it's the idea that a peace without justice is useless. It's not a peace. And I really don't care about healing between the two extremes because, once again, um, you can't have a healing without justice. And if you just ignore this, then these violent racist bigots get away with it, and that's not acceptable. Uh, one of the things that this author had suggested is Biden's really scared of um, basically making matters worse. He could avoid, Biden could avoid imprisoning Trump. What he could do is after Trump's convicted, Biden could pardon him and some of the other January 6th offenders. Um, Personally, and this author uses the example that George Washington, when he became president, gave amnesty amnesty to participants in in the Whiskey Rebellion again, according to the Smithsonian, and he set aside the death sentence of two of its leaders. Honestly, I don't want to see Trump pardoned. I want to see him serve time. I have no interest in this artificial healing, which is basically going back to what we had before, which is those of us that have been abused by the white Christian majority just continue to remain silent as we continue to be abused. That's not acceptable. Now, the actual piece published in the Washington Post, and that's kind of a long, long program today, um, again, written by Lawrence Tribe, Barbara McQuaid, and Joyce White Vance um, in the Washington Post to talk about their credentials. Lawrence Tribe is the Carl M. Loeb University Professor Emeritus and a Professor of Constitutional Law Emeritus at the Harvard Law School. Barbara McQuaid is a law professor at the University of Michigan Law School and a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. And Joyce White Vance is the former U.S. attorney in Alabama and also professor at the University of Alabama School of Law. They are advocating for a criminal investigation of Donald Trump's what they call dangerous course of conduct. Okay. They also point out that although the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has tried to restore uh, public trust in a nonpartisan Department of Justice, um, they add, quote, but failing to investigate Trump just to demonstrate objectivity would itself be a political decision and a grave mistake, end quote. I agree with them. They go on to say, quote, if we are to maintain our democracy and respect for the rule of law, Efforts to overturn a fair election simply cannot be tolerated, and Trump's conduct must be investigated, end quote. And I agree. Then they list the publicly known facts that really suffice to open an investigation of Donald Trump, a criminal investigation right now. And their facts include Trump's demand that uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, quote, find those 11,000 votes 
to declare that Trump won Georgia. Uh, that's number one. Number two would be Trump's pressure, uh, pre- excuse me, Trump's pressure on acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, as reported by the New York Times. And number three, um, basically trying to get uh, the Vice President Mike Pence to push this big lie that the big lie that the election was stolen. It includes a recently revealed phone call in which Trump directed Rosen to, quote, just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest to me, end quote. Also, public statements made by Trump and some of his associates, such as Rudolph, Rudy Giuliani and Representative Mo Brooks on January 6th to, again, incite the mob that stormed the Capitol. These law professors go on to say the following, quote, none of these facts alone prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt but together they clearly merit opening a criminal investigation which would allow prosecutors to obtain phone and text records, emails, memos, and witness testimony to determine whether Trump should be charged, end quote. And I'm just reading straight from this. Um, to go on, quote, one possible charge is conspiracy. It is a federal crime for individuals to agree to defraud the United States by interfering with governmental functions, end quote. And this goes into um, Special Counsel Bob Mueller. He included a conspiracy uh, allegation in his indictment against not only the Internet Research Agency, um, um, but the Russians as well, and alleges the Russian group engaged in a conspiracy. Um, To go on, says, quote, an investigation could also explore whether Trump agreed with others Giuliani, Brooks, and possibly members of his inner circle to obstruct Congress's function of exercising its statutory duty to certify the election, the election results on January 6th. Okay. Another plausible charge, charge is obstruction of an official proceeding. And the statute that is relevant that they list, according again to Cornell Law, quote, makes it a crime to corruptly obstruct, influence, or impede any official proceeding or attempt to do so. Um, They also talk about putting Trump, quote, putting Trump at the heart of the conspiracy with his public statements and tweets constituting overt acts, end quote. Uh, And they're getting into that a related but distinct charge, quote, is the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO, which has often been used beyond its original intended target of organized crime. Um, I'm just reading straight from this quote. To prove RICO, the DOJ would need to establish that Trump was associated with an enterprise affecting interstate commerce, such as the Office of the Presidency, and committed at least two racketeering acts. One such act is extortion, which encompasses transmitting a a threat to harm another's reputation with intent to extract something of value, end quote. And they go on to explain that Trump's little conversations with Raffensperger, you know, Trump suggests to the, that Secretary of State um, that he might have committed a crime and, quote, that's a big risk to you, end quote, according to what Trump said. And that could fit that, that definition of a RICO uh, violation. You know, it's kind of weird because early on in all this, I tried to make the same accusation that, yes, I think there are RICO violations committed by Donald Trump. Nobody would listen. So 
There's another possible charge. There's, um, you could investigate him for violating the voter fraud statute, ironically, according to Cornell Law. You know, it's, it's, and it, that's really kind of funny because the Republicans are all about alleging voter fraud um, of people they don't like, but the fact is it may be that they were the ones committing the voter fraud. There's also a possible charge that Trump may have coerced federal employees to violate the Hatch Act by advancing his candidacy, okay? And going back to the voter fraud law, you know, Trump's, again, documented efforts to pressure state officials to, you know, refuse to certify Biden's election, quote, could run afoul of the Voter Fraud Act, which prohibits anyone from defrauding the residents of a state of a fair election by tabulating false ballots. End quote. So that's, that's, again, very ironic. There's also two other potential crimes that could be criminally investigated. One is inciting insurrection, and the other is seditious conspiracy. We now know that there are a few uh, members of Oath Keepers, I think one of them is the leader, that is now facing charges of seditious conspiracy. Um, you know, once again, there may be some hesitance on DOJ's part because of what, what constitutes unprotected speech, but that's what they're suggesting. And the, the last part of this editorial these professors wrote, I'm just going to quote, quote, the bottom line is this. Now that Trump is out of office, the DOJ's view that sitting presidents cannot be indicted no longer shields him. Attempted coups cannot be ignored. If Garland's Justice Department is going to restore respect for the rule of law, no one, not even a former president, can be above it, and the fear of appearing partisan cannot be allowed to supersede that fundamental precept. Amen, hallelujah. Okay. So, getting down to our last story. Broke Friday. By now, everybody's heard about how the National Republican Party called the January 6th insurrection, quote, legitimate political discourse. Just when you thought things couldn't get more asinine, they do. So in fairness to, to Republicans, I downloaded the actual text directly from the RNC site. Um, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay. It's a Republican National Committee resolution to formally censure Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and to no longer support them as members of the Republican Party. Apparently, the leaders of the RNC recognize a run-on sentence. Let me see. I know, I'm being a little silly. Here we go. Whereas. I'm reading straight from this. Whereas the primary mission of the Republican Party is to elect Republicans who support the United States Constitution and share our values. Whereas the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress have embarked on a systematic effort to replace liberty with socialism, eliminate border security in favor of lawless open borders, create record inflation designed to steal the American dream from our children and grandchildren, neuter our national defense and peace through strength and through strength in foreign policy, replace President Trump's Operation Warp Speed with incompetence and illegal mandates and destroy America's economy 
with the Green New Deal. Okay, so first of all, there's so many things wrong with that 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 run-on sentence is not even funny. Um, you know, I'm tired of hearing uh, Trumpers call out not just Democrats, but especially progressives and socialists. It's so stupid. Okay, I'm not a Democrat. I'm a progressive, and I'm not a socialist either. I actually believe in um, building businesses. I don't. I'm not for predatory capitalism. I think any any uh, any system needs rules and reasonable rules. But you know, once again, notice all the propagandistic remarks in this. Going back to this, whereas winning back the majority in Congress, including the United States House of Representatives in 2022, must be the primary. Okay, I'm not even going to read the rest of this. This is just silly. All right. They go off on Cheney Kinzinger. Kinzinger, I'm sorry. Um, and they claim that Representatives Cheney and Kinzinger, that they have somehow, um, you know, disregarded minority rights, traditional checks and balances, due process, yada, yada, yada. You know, Rona McDaniel is the chair of the Democrat, of the Republican Party, excuse me. I don't know what country she's talking about, but this is silly, all right? And they go through and they basically uh, rhetorically stone Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And they go on to say that Representatives Cheney and Kinzinger are participating in a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. Here it is. Okay. Democrat-led persecution, huh? And ordinary citizens engaged in a legitimate political discourse. Where in the world? Uh, you just can't even, it, it blows your mind, okay? There was no legitimate political discourse on January 6th of 2021. It was a violent lynch mob, period. They broke and entered into restricted buildings. They committed multiple acts of assault and battery. They smeared feces on the walls. They attacked police. Seven people died. They chanted, hang Mike Pence. They erected functional gallows with a noose already tied, ready to go. They went hunting for Democrats and progressives, how in the hell is this legitimate political discourse? I want to know that. I want to know from Rona McDaniel. Talk about a privileged bee. Seriously. She's Mitt Romney's niece, and she's never had a hard or difficult day in her life. She's been affluent her entire life. And this just makes me mad as hell. So once again, and the Republicans couldn't tolerate the fact that two of their members, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinziger, at least had the reasonable level of integrity to call it out and say, no, this was a violent insurrection. You can't do this. Period. Now we see on 
the talking heads on Sunday morning news and we'll call it what passes for news analysis. The GOP is in full compliance mode. You ha- you see several of these politicians, several of these politicos being asked, did January 6th, was it an illegal insurrection? And instead of answering the question, they just say, well, you know what? The people who committed criminal acts should face criminal prosecution. But it wasn't an insurrection. The whole world saw it. That, to say that January 6th was, wasn't a violent insurrection is almost on a level of saying, a level of denial like saying Hitler didn't really murder 11.5 million people. Even though there's, video, there's film evidence that proves it. So, and then you have the RNC issue that incredibly stupid statement. They're all going to stick to it because they're terrified, not just of Donald Trump. They're terrified of Trump's thugs, period. They're terrified of the lynch mob, and they're doing what politicians most often do. You know, basically, if there's a way they can benefit from it and not stick their necks out, they're going to do it. That's it. The only reason they're getting nervous about the idea that a vice president could overturn an election is they hate the idea of Kamala Harris being able to do, theoretically, what Trump wanted Pence to do. And as for Mike Pence, I do not understand that man, except he's just an incredible coward. I mean, if I were Mike Pence, there's no way I'd remain a Republican. There's no way. Trump incited for Pence's murder, period. That's it. His Republican buddies didn't care if the crowd got to him. And yet he's still a Republican. And then you see Pence giving this talk, this calm talk at the Federalist Society. Even though the Federalist Society was one of the groups that helped push Donald Trump to the forefront. So, again, as I watched these talking heads on Sunday morning, the one thing became clear. The GOP is in full compliance mode. You know, even Republicans who claim that January 6th did include criminality, they failed to call out the RNC for effectively endorsing the insurrection. The excuse made by most Trump support, the excuse made by the RNC is that most of the Trump supporters weren't violent. And because they were passive spectators, the events of January 6th don't qualify as an insurrection. Okay, this is, this is bullshit. People, wake up. When you witness a crime, you have a legal mandate to report the crime and possibly prevent further crimes from being committed. What the RNC did with their vapid, brain-dead statement, claiming this was legitimate political discourse, they... What they did was endorse granting comfort and aid to criminals and bigots, period. And every attorney in the RNC knows this. It's taught in the first year of law school. When you withhold evidence, that's obstruction of justice. It's a crime. Trump himself went further when he offered a full blanket pardon, okay, to insurrectionists as he, if, and if he regains the Oval Office. I believe this is tantamount to recruiting people to commit criminal acts. I just do. All right? So to go on to the idea 
the idea that January 6th was, excuse me, folks, I have to take a drink here. The idea that January 6th was all about, quote, ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse, this is the part everyone's talking about. It's ludicrous. What the RNC decided to do was toss out the actual rule of law with any decency as they go full frontal neo-Nazi thugs. Now, the RNC claimed they never intended this phrase, ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. They never intended it to describe the 700 violent insurrectionists. Now, they were talking about those who stood around and watched but didn't participate directly in any of the breaking and entering, assault and battery, manslaughter, or attempts to overthrow the election and the government. Except that excuse is pretty lame, and I see we have a caller. Going to have to wait a minute. The RNC is claiming through their excuses that if you go with your friends, pretty much knowing they're going to beat someone to a pulp, you don't have any shared responsibility to stop that beating. It's like claiming you only watch as your associates burn someone else's house down with their children and pets inside. You didn't do it after all. It's comparable to enjoying a picnic lunch on a lovely spring day as you watch a lynching and you have your apple pie as the corpse sways in the wind, neck stretched in a noose, and you, like a good neighbor, supplied the rope. It's akin to claiming that the Germans who stood and watched as their Jewish neighbors were taken away to certain death had no shared culpability. And it's wrong. So I see we have a caller from 314, my area code, 381-4600. I'm going to wait a minute as I go into the jackass of the week. And this one, or Jenny, if you will, it's, it was too easy. RNC Chair Rona McDaniel. She is our jackass of the week for reasons so obvious to any person, any honest person with a level of integrity that no further explanation is warranted. Now, I'm going to see who this caller is, and we're going to see whether or not they're reasonable or whether or not they just want to basically mooch off the time we pay for it. Okay. Hello? But thanks for putting my telephone number out there for all the world to know. You Every called. code and phone number. Yeah, but, you know, I hear what you're saying. I agree that those are broken inside the White House. Uh, and and done the things that they done as far as we, what we know is guilty. But I was there at that meeting, and I didn't hear Donald Trump incite that. Uh, and I'm black African. I'm a black African American, natural born citizen here in the United States. Well, it just proves and, that people of any race can be ignorant. Goodbye. <laughs> You're okay. I wasn't even going to listen to that. That man claimed that he was a black man and he was there on January 6th and he didn't hear Donald Trump make any of those statements. Okay. Maybe he didn't. Maybe there was so much going on. But the thing is this, and I just basically shut him down saying, well, just prove that people of any race can be ignorant. But the fact very simply is this. The whole world saw, period. And to defend Donald Trump when he has systematically 
incited racists, incited religious bigots. There's a, a certain level of denial that takes place. You know, how any person of color can support Donald Trump is beyond me. But by the same token, how any religious minority, including fellow Jews, can support Donald Trump, again, is beyond me. If you, if you learn from those lessons of oppression, then you learn you're supposed to defend true rule of law. That's something Donald Trump has never done that I know of. And to all those people that call, I'm not going to waste time on you. This isn't that kind of show. I, I do not understand. This is time that our network pays for. This is not your time to freeload. It just isn't. And I, I have said before at the beginning of the show, I will announce if I'm going to take callers. I did not make that announcement. I think there are some people that are actually very naive, if you will, but times are too dangerous now. We don't have the luxury of tolerating that level of naivete. We just don't. And he didn't like the fact that I shared his phone number. Well, that's tough. Okay, you call, it's public. It's not necessarily an issue of privacy. And again, the few callers we've had have been Trumpers trying to somehow tear this down, and I'm not going to permit it. That's what you have Fox and OAN for, period. So once again, it's not just Donald Trump. I want to really emphasize that. I blame those so-called alleged, I'm sorry, I blame those alleged um, peaceable people that were at January at the January 6th insurrection watching with what was going on. Okay? And I'll say it again. When you claim that you didn't have anything to do with it, you were just watching, once again, it's comparable to enjoying a picnic lunch on a lovely spring day, as I read before, as you watch a lynching and you have your apple pie as the corpse of a person of color, a black person, sways in the wind, neck stretched in a noose, and you, like a good neighbor, supplied the rope. And finally, it's akin to claiming as the Germans who stood and watched as their Jewish neighbors were taken away to certain deaths, death had no, no shared culpability. There is no excuse if you were there on January 6th, whether you're black, brown, beige, Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, it makes no difference. If you were there, unless you were media, if you were there to support Donald Trump and you did nothing to stop what happened, you, did, you didn't report it, nothing, then yes, you are complicit. And being a minority does not, does not let you off the hook. I'm a minority too. I'm Hispanic and a Jew. And you know what? Yes, I would be just as severe with fellow Jews. It's a matter of whether or not you believe in rule of law, period. And I'm not going to tolerate somebody wasting the time that we pay for it. Oh, anyway, with that I say, good night and God bless us. <laughs>